Welcome to the Special Events Studio. I am Scott North, Sales Manager for TO Live. I work with private, non-ticketed events coming into our three venues in the City of Toronto. Meridian Hall and the St. Lawrence Centre downtown, Meridian Arts Centre uptown. We are back after hiatus and rebooting to the original intent of this podcast. We will tell the stories belonging to the players in the event industry, how they got started, their journeys with stops along the way, their tales of the interesting, exciting, and captivating elements of the event world. Welcome to the Special Event Studio. Hello, I'd like to welcome you back to the Special Event Studio podcast. We're coming back to you after a long hiatus. Uh, We've had some staffing changes, uh, personnel changes, we're still in the pandemic. But uh, the first thing I want to do is welcome Wakfun Yukobo to our podcast as a new producer and actually also the social media specialist at TO Live. Wakfun, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Happy to be here. So, so Wakfun takes care of takes care of us technically. Um, makes sure everything's running well, and then and then does all post production as well. But uh, Wakfun, again, welcome. We'll get right to it. I'd like to welcome our first guest back after the hiatus. It's Matt Farrell, Vice President of Operations for TO Live. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Scott. Thanks for having me. So, Matt, TO Live, so for for folks that don't know out there, TO Live manages the three city city of Toronto theaters, downtown Meridian Arts Centre, or sorry, Meridian Hall and St. Lawrence Centre, uptown Meridian Arts Centre. Now, it's you're responsible for all operations of those three venues you know through three three different locations that's that's a pretty big job how did you get there and let's start let's start post-secondary what, what did, you, did you go to post-secondary school i did yes i went to the ryerson theater school is what it was called at the time at ryerson uh, and there i studied uh, technical production so everything related to backstage is where i focused uh, four years of my uh, post-secondary career Perfect. And so, and so you're going in there. What what kind of ideas did you have as to you know job prospects once you got out of there? It's it's interesting. They depending on what stream you wanted to go, that would somewhat depended on you know where the jobs may or may may not be. Uh, and by, by streams, I'm talking about when you're looking at things backstage. Did you want to focus on the management side? Did you want to focus on lighting, sound, wardrobe, stage management, uh, those sorts of things? And what kind of is a ebb and flow of the of the industries? So there tends to be peaks and valleys of where certain areas may be looking for more people. And you know, a, a lot of that is somewhat technologically driven. Uh, for example when there was a big a bit of a paradigm shift in digital technology. So for quite a while, people who knew digital audio consoles and digital lighting consoles, they were very much in hot demand. And so those, uh, those folks who were able to adopt to that technology sooner, ultimately were able to get the jobs faster. I myself, I went into the technical direction, production management side of things. That's where my, my interests lied. And from there, I was frankly very lucky and that I was able to uh, secure a series of jobs right out of Ryerson. So what? What? So nothing. Nothing like there wasn't a dream job going in, and then and then did you did you not achieve it? You're going in to get yourself a job, and you got jobs right out of university. That's right. Yes. So what kind what kind of gigs did you get? Well, like a lot of my jobs, they were uh, seated uh, while I was at university. Um, when I was in my second year, I think at Ryerson, I spent my summers at the Blythe Festival, my second and third year, I 
I think it was. Um, and at the Blythe Festival, it's a fantastic summer stock theater festival uh, in uh, rural Ontario. Blythe is a very, very small town, very picturesque town, but it has a very, very live and vibrant uh, community that uh, really rallies around the uh, theater festival in, in the summer. And so my first two years there, I was a production assistant. And that's very much where where you learn to work really hard for not a lot of money. I think I was making all of $250 a week. Uh, and then room and board was taken off of that, or at least board was take, take, taken off that. Uh, but in the end, the, the experiences were invaluable. It felt uh, in some ways a little, little like summer camp uh, in that you were there with a lot of younger people who were just having a great job making theater. And the theater we were making, we were very, very proud at the time. And to this day, they're still, you know, for a summer stock theater in Ontario, it ranks up there with one of the best, in my opinion. So where's, where's Blythe? Blythe, it's near the shores of Lake Huron, somewhat near Godrich, about, uh, I think, it's a half an hour or 45 minutes from London, kind of that neck of the woods. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and it's totally separate from Stratford, let's no, say. Yeah, nothing other than it's a 45-minute drive from, from Stratford. Uh, nothing to do with Stratford at all, no. Okay, and I, 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 my lack of culture is coming out because I, I knew certainly of Stratford. I did, know, did not know of Blythe. Very interesting. Okay, so you, nice. That's a, that's a gig, and, and like a lot of us, we straight out of uh, university, college, we were not making a lot of money. You did that, but but you're kind of getting your feet wet and, and learning that business. Uh uh, you know, what did that turn into? Well, in where my first year at Blythe, I was, I was the production assistant. My last last year at Blythe, I was the technical director. Uh, and at the time, I had just finished my final final year at Ryerson. And then at the time, this would have been 1998, 97, I, I think, um, in our mailboxes, because there wasn't a lot of email flo floating around back then. But in our mailbox, there was a little note. And in it, uh, the note said, please call Bruce McMullen at the Canadian Opera Company. So that's a very interesting note to get for a young technical director. I knew who Bruce was. Bruce actually taught me technical direction at Ryerson. Uh, but I called him up, and sure enough, he said that they were looking for an associate technical director at the Canadian Opera Company. And uh, I went, uh, drove down to Toronto one afternoon, and interviewed him. And uh, it was about a week or so after I finished my Blythe contract, I was, uh, I was starting at the Canadian Opera Company as the associate technical director. So that's, as you can imagine, is going from, you know, a fantastic, as I said, um, well, fully professional, still very, very uh, summer camp type environment at, at the Blythe Festival uh, to becoming the associate technical director of the Canadian Opera Company. So there it was a tremendous learning experience uh, that I was able to get from Bruce. Uh, Bruce was a very, very seasoned technical director. Uh, he had uh, worked uh, all over the States. He came up in, in Canada. Uh, and that is really where, if I had a good uh, rudimentary knowledge of it before, working with him really helped uh, me, me refine that uh, expertise, as well as probably the biggest thing he taught me was, uh, was working with union crews. Uh, because uh, the Canadian Opera Company at the time was performing at was at the time the Hummingbird Center, which is now of course Meridian Hall. Um, that's really where I had learned a lot of the um, a, a lot of the skills and soft skills necessary uh, to be able to work in that environment. Uh, the Canadian Opera Company, 
op operated out of what is now Meridian Hall for for a while. They were they were a resident company there. Decades. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. A long, 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 long time. And then when they built Four Seasons Center in early 2000s, 2005, something like that, uh, that's when they uh, moved over there. Okay. So, so, so that they built the Four Seasons Center for the Canadian Opera Company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Canadian Opera Company essentially built it for themselves, and the National Ballet of Canada is a tenant of theirs in there. So what were the two main tenants of the Hummingbird Sony Meridian Hall uh, left and went over to a new building. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Uh, but there, so, Hummingbird Center, Sony Center. Sorry, O'Keefe Center, Hummingbird Center, Sony Center, Meridian Hall. It's had a, it's had a long history. Um, we're at Meridian Hall now. But so at one point that it had the Canadian Opera Company and the uh, National Ballet that that performed in it through throughout the season every every year. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, it was for decades. Is that right? Yep. <clears throat> Very interesting. That would have been a much different uh, world in the Meridian Hall, wouldn't it? Uh, it well, it uh, when when they left, uh, Meridian Hall had to reinvent itself at the time to figure out how can how is it going to be able to be, be relevant when there aren't two principal tenants in it uh, and so we are right now what i like to what i would hope is kind of the uh, uh, right at the peak of finally figuring out how we are redefining uh, the building under the uh, umbrella of course of to live very interesting very interesting so the 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 uh, career of Matt Farrell got off to to a, a nice start um, after the Canadian Opera Company. Where did you go then? Uh, at at uh, while well, I was at the Canadian Opera Company, well, well, it was uh, as you said, learning a lot about uh, specifically how to work in that large scale environment that was uh, an opera company. Um, I was at still at the same time missing some of that grassroots uh, theater that uh, that I had pre previously been in. Uh, so. Um, the Young People's Theatre was looking for a technical director. Uh, and again, uh, the production manager at the time called me up, asked me to come over for an interview. We had a great conversation and I decided to just decided to kind of take a take a little move down the street because Young People's Theatre is just down the street from the uh, uh, from Meridian Hall. And I was at uh, young, young People's Theatre for five or six years as their technical director. Okay. Yep. So heavy technical director, um, and then then I'm, I'm sure there's a couple other stops before. That's right. Yes, Sony Center. Yeah. And so while at the while at Young People's Theater, uh, Soul Pepper was Soul Pepper Theater Company. Uh, this was before they had their current home. They were just starting to get going at the, at the Harbor Front Center. And they wanted to use Young People's Theatre scenic shop, wardrobe shop, and prop shop in order to build all of their sets, props, and costumes. Um, because I was somewhat foolish at the time, single at the time, and again, just you know, craving as much uh, exposure as I could, uh, I ultimately ended up being their technical director uh, throughout the summer months by taking my vacation, taking my loo time, working evenings and things like that. Uh, so that I could essentially hold down two jobs at the same time, with Soul Pepper at the time being seasonal. So I was with uh, them for a uh, 
few years until they built the Young Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, and when they built that new building down in the distillery district, uh, that's where I uh, ended up deciding to leave YPT uh, because there was a full-time job waiting for me at Soul Pepper slash the Young Center for the Performing Arts. And so I was their, um, uh, I was their uh, technical director at the time, both for the building and for the company. And I ended up again doing that for another three, four, five years, something like that, um, ultimately becoming the production manager for Soul Pepper. And then it was to Sony Center? Not quite yet. No, no. <laughs> we still aren't there. Uh, I went and um, I went and uh, decided I wanted a bit of a change in how I was approaching my career. So I actually went for went to work for a corporate uh, theater equipment, concert equipment rental company. I only stayed there for three months because, it, it, as it turns out, that is not the change I was looking for. Um, and so then I went out on my own and I became a freelance production manager, technical director around town. And I worked for companies uh, big and small as a production manager, technical director. Um, and I did that for about uh, three or four years uh, where I was just, uh, you know, ha had a PMTD for hire and I went, I went wherever the jobs did. And that was great. That was fun. I really, really enjoyed it. But the one thing that was really stressful um, is that uh, kind of always looking ahead, trying looking ahead in the calendar to see where am I not going to have income? Do I have enough money saved up from uh, the previous gig to make it through a dry spell? And at the same time, I had the, I, uh, my first child was on the way, and then that's where I just couldn't uh, couldn't, couldn't take that stress. Didn't want to take that stress, uh, so I found a job. Um, oddly enough, back at another uh, corporate AD type company. Uh, the only difference was this was less about purely getting gear out the door into another company's hands, and we very much were um, were making the shows ourselves. So I was a production manager for, for this company, and uh, companies would uh, come to us not just necessarily to look to rent pieces of equipment A, B, C, and D, but they want to put on a corporate AGM, they want to do a gala dinner, those things like that. And so we were really thought that production managers there were very much involved in the planning. We got to do some design uh, and it was really a uh, much more encompassing and frankly, really rewarding job. And so I was there for about five years doing that. Awesome. And, and you know, the purpose, we've kind of reinvented ourselves on this podcast as well as where when we first started it, we, we, it, we, we the pandemic had just started. And so we, we got into talking about life around the pandemic. And, and you know what? We got tired of that. And, and uh, well, I mean, we had some personnel changes, this, that pandemic still going on. So this, when we start back up, Matt being our first guest, we wanted to get an idea of, you know, how is it that you've come to be in the position that you're in now? You know, kind of the, the, the journey of people within the event, event industry. And you know what, Matt, it's, it's good, good information to have too, because, you know, now I understand how you've been able to jump into different events. You've been able to help me with corporate events and, and basically uh, kind of oversee or even take over if necessary. I did not realize where that information and, and experience came from. So, you know, this, this podcast is serving its purpose for helping me out with a colleague. So thank you for that. No so, so now how did you get from all of that to at the time, what was a Sony Center? So the company that I was working for, it ended up being bought by a similar company. 
Um, and so there, there was a bit of a merge there. And during that time, the, uh, the company I was working for was a company that was bought. And long story short, it didn't work out well for everybody, uh, my, myself included. Uh, so I ended up suddenly uh, realizing that I needed to find another job. Uh, fortunately, at the time, uh, the Sony Center at the time, uh, the current CEO uh, was actually an interim CEO because he had just taken over from the previous CEO, but he was also the director of programming at the Sony Center. So he was doing two jobs. He was he was the uh, interim uh, CEO of the Sony Center and the director of programming. As the director of programming, he had a number of different departments under him at the Sony Center, including production, uh, box office, uh, merchandise, and the and and you know pure programming. Uh, so they were looking for an interim associate director of programming to fill that role. And so the timing just worked out really, really well. I heard on the street that they were looking to fill this. Um, I sent the email off to Mark and uh, long story short there, within a week of that sending that email off, uh, I landed in the position. Nice. Um, and so and so that, that was a Sony Center then. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were, so it was only you were only in the Sony Center. At Correct. Time. Yeah, yeah. This was pre-amalgamation of TO Live, uh, so it's just just the Sony Center, um, and it's also it was also a very different job than what I'm doing right now. Um, for Mark, uh, who was the CEO at the time, I was I, I was very much looking after everything that wasn't uh, pure programming in terms of booking shows and stuff like that. Uh, so I was looking after uh, the other departments um, within his his portfolio, uh, which which was box office. Merchandising, uh, uh, production, and corporate defense, of course, and that's which is where we met, Scott. Perfect. And then, and then, you know, your job, your job, job kind of grew and developed and changed. And and uh, so, how how'd you land the the VP spot? Well, because it was just an interim position, really, until things could be figured out in terms of how. Um, the CEO's job would work with the programming job. Uh, the director of programming at the time was also on, off on a maternity leave. So I knew when I took the job that there was an expiry date to it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the uh, director of facilities at the time ended up retiring. And the uh, Sony Center ended up uh, borrowing an individual from City of Toronto to fill in for a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, as my contract started, was uh, a pro you, you could see the end date, uh, we sat down and we talked, and the conversation was, uh, do, did I want to take over that director of facilities job? Um, and with that, there was a slight reorg uh, within the uh, within the company where uh, production also uh, went over to um, facilities too. Uh, so I ended up being in charge of basically the entire building, anything you could touch or look at, capital projects, stuff like that, uh, production, as well as uh, front, of, front of house and patron services. Awesome. And and then you went in from that to doing that, all, all of that with Sony Center. Then when uh, the new Meridian deal came in, how, how did that evolve? Well, when uh, uh, th this was before the Meridian deal. So when I was purely that uh, position with Sony Center, the city of Toronto amalgamated, as we know, Sony Center, uh, Toronto Center for the Arts at the time, and St. Lawrence Center into what was called at the time Civic Theatres Toronto. And that is where, um, during that, uh, as part of that amalgamation, I was offered the position of vice president of operations. Uh, and that, and so 
at that time, which uh, is where I am now, uh, the portfolio was basically patient services, capital projects, uh, facilities, buildings, all that stuff, uh, as well as um, uh, food and beverage. That's, that's a lot on your plate, pun intended. <laughs> that is a lot. That's a lot of stuff, Matt. Uh, yes. Hey, oh. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you, you have all that, and, and that's that's going along, um, you know, did it, did it take a while to kind of feel comfortable in that role with, with, with everything that you, you, you were taking on? And I'm talking prior to pandemic. I mean, when, when the company amalgamated, it was very much like a switch was turned in terms of when everybody ended up moving from previous positions within three different companies into their new position within one company. Uh, for some people, it, it was um, uh, more or less a, a seamless transition. For myself, it went from being in charge of one building to being in charge of three buildings that I knew absolutely nothing about. Uh, so that is where there was absolutely a huge uh, change in terms of um, things you had to come up to speed on very, very fast. Uh, and so that it was it was a challenge at the time, um, and you know things were just th th things were just getting good, and it was just figuring things out when the pandemic hit. Okay, so and and I mean now we are into that again, and um, and it, and it does uh, kind of cover and, and and so much of your job. So pandemic, and and I'd like to say I can't imagine how that was going from one venue to three, but I can because I was there. Um, I can't, I can't imagine on the level that, to, that you had to do that and, and all that you had to learn, but now you're in the pandemic. And, and I know from being there again, that like, it's particularly for the vice president of operations. Uh, how, how, how much have you had to, like, did your workload decrease through the pandemic? Let me ask you that first. Absolutely not. In fact, it absolutely, absolutely did not. increase. Uh, perhaps the uh, what may be an inst instinctual reaction is that if you if shows are not happening in a theater or in three theaters, uh, then surely it must be easier to manage and to deal with those three theaters. Um, the experience was, in fact, the complete op complete opposite. Uh, for for one thing, you know everything to do with COVID made everything harder, hands down. Um, another thing, because it was uh, for like so many other restaurants and performing arts uh, uh, companies, it was a financial crisis, bar none. Um, the result of that was that we ended up going down on staff. So we were operating the venues on a skeleton staff. Um, and that was challenging for the entire team, uh, just, just to not have their colleagues to rely on, uh, to work with them. And just the number of, just purely the number of people that were responsible for almost a million million square feet. Uh, so that that of that was um, uh, both of those things were absolutely challenging. Um, but at the same time, we were also doing a lot of capital projects at the three th theaters because we had limited activity because of the the pandemic. Uh, the city, because, because these buildings are owned by the city of Toronto, they saw this as an opportunity to uh, try to. Um, uh, do a bit of catch up on some accessibility projects that we have on the books, as well as some uh, state, state of good repair backlog to be able to do a series of uh, repairs and improvements and up, upgrades that previously would not have been 
would have just taken much, 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 pardon me, much longer uh, because there is, uh, because of the limit activity, you can just let that construction blast radius um, expand and encompass the lobbies, encompass the auditoriums um, while we're wait waiting for audiences to come back. For instance, down at Meridian Hall, we substantially increased the amount of accessible seats uh, that, are, that are available in the auditorium. Uh, previously, there was really only two spots uh, we could put accessible seats, um, and there was also a limited number of seats that were available. Uh, so our goal was to be able to increase it uh, up to what uh, what is uh, desirable under accessibility standards, um, and to be able to put those seats in a number of different locations. Uh, so now uh, we are able to uh, put those accessible seats uh, in multiple locations, more of them, including up at the balcony. Uh, so there was, for example, a lift that went up that went went up to the balcony. We had to level off uh, parts of um, the auditorium to be able to create uh, areas that weren't sloped, replace a whole bunch of seats. So all that in a normal time that could have taken two or three years because you need to maintain an active theater. What we were able to do was essentially let the construction create a bit of a blast radius uh, and just go and tackle everything at once at the same time. Uh, and, and with that, there is money savings opportunities in there. But most importantly, it's not something that is done piecemeal. It is just something that's done. It's over with. Now that audiences are coming back, they're able to see the benefit of it. Okay, so I mean, in the midst of all this, we'll we'll take that as a plus, as an advantage that, that you were able to get all that done. Yeah, that's. I mean, honestly, um, that's probably the one silver lining of the entire pandemic. Okay, I am an optimist, yes. eternal optimist. I'm going to take that pause. Your glass is half full. So <clears throat> that's that's right. Now, okay, that you you've got that going on capital projects, but the the big thing. You, you are the the main point person of of TO Live, you know, for as the VP of operations, everything that's going on. So any type of restrictions and people coming into our venues, um, any type of um, measures put in place to to keep people safe, you're in charge of all that. That's right. That that. It's got to be, and particularly in these times, that's got to be a pretty stressful and pretty time-consuming position. Just that, um, and you don't—you don't even have to answer that because I—I—I I, I, I know it is. I know that goes without saying. But so with the pandemic, like, what what kind of measures did you put in place um, as as you're kind of foreseeing and and uh, your executive team is planning to to reopen? The most basic measures are those that appear in the various uh, ever-changing COVID regulations. Um, and in some ways, uh, following those was almost like uh, following a ever-changing instruction manual on how to put put something together. Uh, one week, you'd have to uh, one type of, uh, you'd have to have one requirement in place. Um, a month later, that may not be in place. There might be some other type of requirement in place. So just kind of keeping up with the regulations, what was required. Um, what uh, wasn't required, what was changing, that was constant. Um, because the, as we all know, the regulations around COVID were constantly changing. But we were really seeing those regulations as the base level of what we could do. That's kind of like uh, if, if the minimum standard, 
but ultimately we knew that when audience were going, were going to uh, come back, that there was going to be an apprehension uh, and we wanted to do everything we could to A, make the audience, uh, audiences, and not just audiences, um, employees who are coming back, uh, artists who are coming back, performers who, who, who are coming back. We want to create an environment that A, they feel safe and ultimately is the safest we can possibly make it. Uh, so we ended up doing a number of enhancements that were well above with what the, just the regulations required. Um, but I think it's something that uh, that will and is paying off in terms of uh, welcoming people back to the building. <coughs> okay, so what, what kind of <clears throat> what kind of things are in place? But, if I walked in there now, what's what's different than before? Well, a, a lot of what you um, when you walk in you may not see too much. So there is a promotional element. And I say that because a lot of where we uh, have focused our energies and our dollars is on ventilation and air quality. So there's nothing in the regulations that specifically say you have to do this or that re related to that. Um, however, uh, with, with it being well known now that COVID is abs absolutely airborne, we wanna do uh, a number of upgrades to our air handling systems uh, to be able to uh, address that. For example, we've installed uh, UVC lights in all of our uh, ductwork. So what UVC light is, is it's, it's a form of ultraviolet radiation and essentially renders uh, the COVID virus and numerous other viruses inert uh, so that they aren't able to reproduce, they aren't able to infect people. Uh, so that as we suck out the old air of the uh, auditorium, for example, ultimately, any building is going to have to put a little bad bit of that air back into the auditorium. And that's just in part the nature of being in Canada. You can't suck out 100% of the air and put in 100% of the air from outside because you have to heat it, you have to cool it, you essentially have to condition it. So you're always doing a mix of fresh air and the existing building air. The existing building air is of course where the concern is. So all of this air passes through these UVC lights, essentially, rendering any, uh, any, any type of viruses, um, even uh, molds and stuff like that, uh, inert, and it goes back into the, uh, uh, the auditorium safely. So that, that's one example of the things we're doing. And, and I, I know that there are <clears throat> several others, um, and Matt's just being modest right now. <clears throat> Matt, you, you talk about the, you know, all the restrictions that are changing monthly, weekly, daily. You're you're the person that's that's responsible for these three venues and all the staff and all the different uh, stakeholders that that have anything to do with it. Like, the, I, you know, as a as a regular person trying to follow it, it's it's extremely confusing. Like, what do you, do you have like a special bat phone that's direct to the city that they call you and tell you about this, or or how how do you get this information? No, it's 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 quite the opposite where. When the province makes the regulations, there's very, there's little, very little back channel information that 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 is available. There is a great uh, network of both people who work, uh, uh, who um, are colleagues at the city, as well as at all the other theaters, and we absolutely compare notes, compare best practices, uh, get opinions on how do you read this regulation, this how I I read that regulation, those sorts of things. Um, and that uh, that's 
perhaps that is the second uh, uh, line, silver lining of the pandemic, is that um, I have become uh, closer to a lot, lot of my colleagues around the city. Not that we were strangers before, but there's definitely a lot more collaboration, a lot more discussion going on than the previous really was, as we all try to figure out how to get through this. Sure. And and now we are... Okay, what's what, what are, what's the restrictions right now? <clears throat> I understand. Well, I, I, I know that we had a Full House conference, uh, concert this past Saturday. Um, so restrictions are starting to open up, but that's not going to make your job any less busy either, is it? No, no. And I, I think it's almost important to put, put, put a bit, bit of a time uh, stamp on the date we're recording this, which is October 20th. Um, just because a week and a half ago, we could only have 50%, about a week, week and a half ago, we could only have 50% of the uh, auditorium. We're now able to have 100%. So on this show that we had this past Saturday, uh, it had it had booked a long time ago and it was holding on, uh, hoping that uh, it, they would be able to open up to as full of house possible. Um, originally, we started with, um, uh, with a... I'm, for, I'm forgetting the history now. I, I think it was that we, we could open up to 50% capacity originally. Uh, so in Meridian Hall, uh, sorry, 50% up to 1,000 seats. So in Meridian Hall, they could have had 1,000 people in there. Uh, they then went to a full uh, 50% and then ended up being like 10,000 seats or something like that. Um, so for uh, at Mer Meridian Hall, that means we went from 1,000 seats to somewhere around 1,500, 1,600 seats. Um, and then about a week out, they completely removed all capacity restrictions. And so then it was pretty much all 3,200 seats were there and available for sale. The show was previously sold out. So all of a sudden we were stuck in the situation where we had to figure out how to do the vaccine checks of 3,200 people coming in, in, into the building. When previously our entire mindset, our entire plan, everything we were thinking of was for about half that. Okay, how how to go? There was a lot of learning that went on. Um, ultimately, everybody was in and in their seats before the show started, which is where we wanted it to where we wanted it to be. Um, but because the the new enhanced uh, uh, QR code, the the new enhanced uh, vaccine certificate from the province of Ontario, that wasn't out yet. You had to check vaccine uh, statuses manually on the piece of paper and then compare that to a form of identification. And that just takes time. That just takes time. So one challenge with getting 3,200 people in is it's just a pure volume. If you assume that uh, everybody was going through a single door and let's just say you're able to check someone in one second, it takes longer than one second, but for the sake of argument, let's just say it's, it's one second. That's 3,200 seconds, which is about 53 minutes. So even if you, so, Let's say it takes three seconds. Well, now that's 53 minutes times three. So now it's close to three hours to be, to be able to check everybody if you're doing them one at a time. So because there were so many people, everything had to be scaled up. We had to upscale the number of people checking vaccinations, upscale the number of entries in, into the building, and it became a big routine to try to do that. Even with that, ultimately, there was still a line that went around the block, um, but people were patient. I think a lot of people were just happy to be out. People were complimentary. Ultimately, the line moved at a very good pace. People were always moving. Um, but it was it was really great to see how the audience was 
kind, grateful, appreciative, and just had no issues with that line and getting getting into the building. That's uh, that sounds like a daunting task. Now, do you, do you, you certainly foresee improvement on that and that process with with the uh, the province's uh, new platform? Absolutely. I, I actually beside me, I have uh, I have seventeen uh, uh, iPod touches. Um, and we're going to be using that as our way to scan. Uh, so we're going to uh, just the whole process is going to be much, 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 much faster, not nearly as clunky. Um, and uh, as I said, there's also a lot of learning in what we had before of just how, how to process that people, that that many people uh, to, to get them through the gates and into the venue. Got it. Okay. So now, as, as you as you said, the the date and, and uh, you know people typically listen to podcasts anytime from. We'll get this out as soon as we can, but uh, people might listen to this a couple months from now. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how things change. I, I, I would imagine they'll, they'll well, as, as more and more people start having events, there'll be more and more events. Now, <clears throat> do you see for yourself, uh, do you see a, a point that you'll be able to take a breather on this? Or, or are we, we going to be going on like this for a couple of years? I don't think we'll be going on exactly like this for a couple of years. How long COVID will stick around in some way, shape or form is anybody's guess. I'm doing some crystal ball gazing, but I would hope that come the spring, come the summer, most of the restrictions uh, will be, um, will be re- removed. Um, we, the, everything about the vaccine passport is it's, it's not something that anybody wants to stick around longer than it needs to be. So it's going to be around for this for, I believe, a fixed time period, but ultimately it will go away. And slowly but surely, we, we, we will get back to the way things were. Um, people's comfort level will increase with time. The more they get back out, the more they get uh, used to being in public, interacting with their fellow human being, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, it's, it's, we aren't there yet. You know, it's still, um, it's still a work in progress. But we'll get there. Awesome. Well, well, Matt, that's uh, probably a good note to to stop things. I want to thank you for for your time coming on here because I know that it it is a uh, it's a task for you to make time for for other things because you got so many other things going on. So thank you. We appreciate your no time, problem. and uh, look forward to working with you down the road. Great. Thank you very much, Scott. <laughs>